You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, WHTT.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're very privileged to have with us Dr. Hannah Massad, who is a Palestinian pastor. Pastor Hannah, as he likes to be called, was born in Gaza, and so he's got a really remarkable story. And I think it would be very appropriate that, Craig, could you open us with a word of prayer Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that you came to earth to be our Savior, to be our salvation, to show us who the Father is. I thank you that tonight we have the opportunity to be with Pastor Hannah, and we thank you that he has endured so much on behalf of the cross. We look forward to hearing his testimony today as he celebrates serving the Prince of Peace. We commit this broadcast to you tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. And uh, we'll start off here. I'm going to actually turn this over to uh, Chuck Carlson because there seems to be sort of a twist of fate. I don't know, divine providence here. But when Chuck went to Israel and then he went into Gaza in March of 2002, he met with a number of people there and actually... uh, has a picture of the Gaza Baptist Church where Pastor Hannah was the pastor. Unfortunately, Chuck was not there on a Sunday, so he was not able to meet Pastor Hannah. And so it's taken us 16 years to actually connect up. And so we are (laughs) so interested to uh, get the rest of the story, if you will. So, Chuck, why don't you do a little intro of Pastor Hannah? Thank you so much for joining us, Pastor Hannah. My pleasure. It's good to be with you all. Dr. Hannah, it's going to be wonderful to talk to you after all this time. Tom took me back 16 years when he published a picture of your church, Yes. And uh, which I took when I was walking one morning when I walked across Gaza from the east side, Gaza City, toward the west side, I guess, if I had my direction straight. And I walked behind a funeral procession where four people were murdered in their beds the night before or on their jobs in an air raid. And that air raid was preceded by a drone that came around and took pictures. And then it just so happened that the air raid was Apache helicopters that hovered over where I was staying in the building that was owned by the Baptist Church in Gaza City. And I went up on the roof, as some of my friends have heard me say many times, and took pictures of it, and uh, and then the following day I walked across and followed the procession for the funeral of these people that were killed. There were also 40 people hospitalized or at least wounded that, I understand, in that particular raid. It's amazing to me that you could live there through all of these years and go through with the Palestinians what they go through and still maintain your love of all people, and at the same time, deal with the enormity of the occupation, which I've always said that, as far as I can tell, Gaza is the largest 
open air prison in the world, or maybe even in the history of the world, with two million people that are, are basically penned in. I'll never forget the interrogation that I went through to try to come in, and and the suggestion from the checkpoint people, who were of course Israelis, uh, that uh, I shouldn't really be going there and asking me questions like, why would you want to visit those animals? Things like that simply amazed me that you and the missionaries that I met inside Gaza could stay there and live there and deal with both, of course, the idea of being one of the very few Christians in the whole two million people who were there, a million and a half at that time, I guess, and at the same time deal with the Israeli occupation around the outside and still maintain your your love and your care of humanity and your desire to lead people to Christ, people of all walks. So to me, it's a great experience to be able to hear you uh, after all those years. And I'd like you to start by introducing yourself and uh, share with us your story or your testimony of your years in Gaza. And, and then I'd like you to perhaps share with us what it's like to be a minister inside of this place, uh, what you refer to as the fires of persecution from Muslims who are not all friendly towards you, as well as the Israeli occupation overhead. And then finally, we want you to tell us about how you view Christian Zionism and the impact that it's having on Christ's work in places like Gaza. What is the impact of it there? about how dispensationalism plays out in the lives of these people as you see it. Thank you, Chuck and uh, Tom and uh, brothers and sisters. It's great to be with you. Um, actually, the Arabic name, Hannah, it's the Arabic name for John, but I know Hannah here in the West, it's a female name, but it's a good name. It's a biblical name. In Arabic, it means John. My parents belong to the Greek Orthodox Church. I was born and grew up in Gaza. But I got to know the Lord in a personal way through the only evangelical church uh, in the whole Gaza Strip. And this is back in the 70s when I was a young man. And later, in 1987, uh, I had the privilege to be called by the same church where I got saved to be the first local Palestinian pastor. And I did that from 87 to 91 when I went also in the same time to Bethlehem Bible College uh, in Bethlehem. And because before that, we usually have pastors coming either from Egypt or from uh, Lebanon. Uh, so I did that, pastored from 87 to 91, and then the Lord opened the door for me to go to Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California. And I did that um, from 91 to 99, and I was pastoring uh, a church while, while I'm studying at Fuller uh, Seminary, First Baptist of Azusa. And after I finished uh, my studies uh, at Fuller, uh, I really could have stayed you know, in this great country, but the Lord put in my heart in 1999 to start a small ministry called the Christian Mission to Gaza, whereas uh, to share the good news uh, with the people in Gaza in one hand and also to help uh, with physical needs because of a lot of poverty and also uh, do ministry among the Iraqi and the Syrian refugees um, in Jordan. So in fall 1999, I went back um, and I went back to the same church. They've been without pastor uh, for all this time. 
So I went back to the same church and also started to teach uh, at Bethlehem Bible College. And then I continued to do that uh, until uh, 2007, 2008. Uh, around that time, uh, we experienced a lot of persecution, um, whereas my wife was the director of the Bible Society in Gaza, and that uh, Bible Society had been bombed uh, twice by militant Muslims. And then the unthinkable happened um, when one of our church members had been kidnapped by militant and they executed him. Uh, Ten hours after that, because he refused to be converted to Islam. So uh, we felt our life on the line at that time. And so this is why my family and other families, we evacuated and went to the West Bank and for a year. And later we end up in Jordan. And about two years ago, we have some change in my family life because one of my daughters uh, have a need, so we came here in the, in the States, but I, I continue to travel back and forth between Gaza and Jordan. So to summarize my journey of faith, of life, and then uh, you ask me the question, what is it like to minister uh, or to live in Gaza? And I usually say to the people, I've never been in a prison but I live in one when I was in Gaza. Indeed, it's uh, Gaza under siege in the last 11 years. Siege from the sea for fishermen cannot go more than six or nine miles into the water. And siege from the sky and siege from the land because Gaza is a very small piece of land. It's about 30 miles long and seven miles wide and two million people living in it. So it's, it's one of the most populated area in the world. So what is it like to live and minister in Gaza? Usually I say we live between two fires. We have the fire of the militant Muslims in one hand who's not happy who we are and what we do, and the fire of the Israeli occupation on the other hand. And uh, sometimes, unfortunately, as evangelical Christians, we have the fire of the traditional church. So the biggest challenge for us as evangelical Christians, uh, how to live your faith and how to live your life in the midst of all these challenges, how to reflect God's love and God's peace, and how uh, to continue to love and not to allow unforgiveness or bitterness to rule and to control your life, especially because really the desire of our hearts that Jesus be exalted and uh, our priorities is our faith and that he's first in our life. And we didn't want anything, as small or big, affect our relationship with the Lord. So, yes, it's a difficult place, but it's really uh, the greatest honor. I feel that the Lord allow us to go through that fire. And, uh, you know, for example, I said, the location of the ministry been bombed uh, by militants, and our friend Rami, who was one of the leaders in the church, kidnapped and uh, executed by militants. And But on the other hand, uh, like when you uh, leave Gaza and you go through these checkpoints, and the humiliation usually you experience and the difficulty, it's a huge. And uh, again, how to continue to reflect God's love in the midst uh, of all these challenges. The question about the Christian Zionist, it's really for us to understand this kind of conflict because it's a difficult one through the history and very sensitive uh, one. In order to answer the question about 
our perspective about the Christian Zionists, if I may, in a few minutes, summarize this conflict, because really the media usually didn't talk much about the root of this conflict, but they talk more about the symptoms of this problem when a Jew kill a Palestinian or a Palestinian <coughs> kill a Jew. And let me say in the beginning, both people have been really hurting each other and uh, nobody is winning, and uh, in the end of the day, the people is paying the price. And I will say my people, the Palestinians, really been hurt more uh, through the years as they live in this very difficult situation and been oppressed a long time. So my question, how far back in history we can go in order to try to solve this conflict we cannot go back to the time of Abraham where you have Isaac and Ishmael. But usually I say to the people, if we go back about 100 years ago or 150 years ago, late 1800 and early 1900, most of the people who lived in Palestine and Israel really are Palestinians, Christian, Muslims, Jews, all of them speaking Arabic. And the Jewish people at, at that time, even according to the Jewish statistics, it's about 5 percent maximum 10 percent so the jewish people start to come back early 1900 so now as we know with the first world war in 1914 you have the british and the french in one side and you have the Osman empire the turks on the other hand and the british at that time they told the arab and the Palestinian and the Jewish people, if you help us in this war, and if we win this war against the Turks, we will give you independence. And we know all these promises have been fulfilled for the Jewish, for the Arab countries, but is not, until today, is not fulfilled for the Palestinian people. So to make the story short, in the 20s, there was more fighting with the local people at that time, the Palestinian and the Jewish people who's coming back. Now, in the 30s, even there's more fight and more demonstration and more tension. Now, in the early 40s, with the horrible of the Holocaust, more Jewish people start to come back to Palestine. And I should say the Palestinian people at that time, they're not really against Jewish people coming back to find a shelter, but they're more against the Zionists who came with the previous plan, want to take more land. So now the tension is very high because the Palestinians, they feel somebody is withdrawing the rag from under their feet. So there's more fight, more tense. And the British who were ruling at that time, they're not able to solve this conflict. And they said, well, we transfer this conflict to the United Nations. And in 1947, 1948, the United Nations said, well, we're going to divide this land. We will give... 48% to the Palestinian, we give 52% to the Jewish people. The Jewish people very smart, accepted. The Palestinians said, well, our population is much bigger. How come you give us this land? And they refuse the plan. Uh, we as Palestinians now regret that because what we're asking now as Palestinian people, just 22% where we've been offered 48% back in 1948. Now, Many people know in 1948, in May 14, the State of Israel started, but many people didn't know in the same year when the State of Israel started, there's more than 700,000 Palestinians, 50,000 of those were Christian, they became homeless. They, many came to Gaza. My 
mother's side of the story, who were born in Jaffa, close to Tel Aviv. In 48, they had to flee and to come down. Many went to the West Bank, and where you have refugee camps in West Bank, and you have eight refugee camps in Gaza, and others went to Lebanon, to Syria, and to Jordan. So the Palestinian people inside, it's about 5 million, but in the exile, also you have more than another 5 million. So I try to show the other side of the coin and hopefully to show uh, the bigger picture what's happening through history. Now, the Christian Zionists, unfortunately, many times they go too far to support one side, but they didn't, for some reason, didn't see the other side of the coin. And whereas the Palestinian continue to be oppressed. And this is difficult, of course, for us as a Christian Arab or Christian Palestinians, when we see our brothers and sisters in the West, sometimes or many times they have this unconditional support for the Jewish people. For me as a Christian Palestinians, what I'm saying, for me, even my father's side of the family, in 48, we lost a lot of land. We lost 69,000 square meter of land. And we have documents to approve that, but we're not able to do anything about it. And this is not only my story or my parents or grandparents, but this is the story of many Palestinians, what happened to them in 1948. They lost their homes and lost their land. I mean, for me, as Palestinian Christian, I'm able to forgive because I experience God's forgiveness. I'm able to love because I experience the Father's love. And I refuse by the grace of God to allow bitterness and unforgiveness to rule because, as I said in the beginning, my priority in life is to live for the one who gave his life for me and to reflect this love to my people and also to the Jewish people. Because both, as you know, all have sinned and get short of the glory of God. And both people, they need to know the Lord. And really blessing for me as Palestinian Christian Arab, when I see my people believed in Christ, and also I see Jewish, Messianic Jews believe in Christ, and how Christ can bring us together, whereas the politics and politicians say it's impossible, but I see and I experience this as I worship when I have opportunity with the brothers and sisters from both sides. So I just hope and I pray that our brothers and sisters, um, because I, I know many of them are sincere, but they didn't maybe have a chance to hear and to see the whole picture and uh, to see the other side of the coin. So I hope, let me put it this way, for me as a Palestinian, I love the Jewish people as a Christian. So when I ask my brothers and sisters to love the Palestinian, I'm not saying to them to hate the Jewish people because I love the Jewish people. But I'm asking to have enough room in your heart for also the Palestinian people as well. Because the scripture, especially the minor prophet in the Old Testament, command us time after time to speak against the injustice. And there's a lot of injustice happened to the Palestinian people. So I hope by able to bring a balanced view or balanced perspective and I want to say also, I am a blessed as a Palestinian Christian to belong to the body of Christ. 
and how together we're able to do something great to reach out to the people in both sides. Because really what we need to do as a church in the West, how or to focus on the kingdom of God in both sides, because you have believers in both sides. And in the bigger circle, we need to speak against the injustice with the spirit of love and to show that because the Lord command us to do so and in the same time to see this great miracle where you see believers coming to know the Lord from different ethnic groups because all of us need to experience God's grace and God's forgiveness. So I hope I'm able to explain the situation and I hope people will understand this conflict in a better way. Basically, I say in one sentence, the root of this conflict is occupation. One country try to control or one ethnic group try to control another ethnic group. My father for many years used to say, I hope to see peace before I die. He died without seeing that. Now this is what I hope and wish for my children, but God knows if I'm able to see it. But let me say, we as a Christian, we know there will not be real peace without the Prince of Peace. But in the same time, we need to speak also in the bigger circle where people continue to fight and continue to kill one another. Uh, We need to speak about the injustice and to speak about the truth and to try to find a way to be a blessing to both sides as much as we can. Sorry for my long answer. (laughs) That was not a long answer, and thank you very much. And we're going to ask you more. While I was there, I met uh, one Arab, a Palestinian, who had converted to Christianity and was a remarkable young man, and I won't use his name, and he was indeed remarkable, and I also met two women, American women, who, like you, dedicated their lives to being there, trying to make change, and they were all members of your churches, and we've discussed them between us. Mm -hmm. And so your impact you had through your church was remarkable. And we have, in our mission, which is to try to awaken Christian people to what is wrong with Christian Zionism, because it is bringing, we think, hatred and into the controversy that already has too much hatred in it. And so that's uh, the devotion of our mission. And we are stunned and shocked to see how significant the Christian Zionist movement has grown to be in only a hundred years. That's what we've come to call it neo-Christianity because it's only a hundred years long and we don't really think you can be a Christian and a Zionist at the same time. So the name itself is confusing. I'd like to ask you this question. Do you think that it is possible that you told us the story of the member of your church who was kidnapped and murdered by radical Islamic groups there in Gaza. I didn't really have to cope with them while I was there. Everyone was very nice to me, but you have that presence, and it's definitely there. There are certainly radical Islamic groups. Do you think it's possible that the actions of Christian Zionists in their declarations that the state of Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy and that Israelis have a natural right or Jews have a natural right to supremacy there, 
because it's God's will. Do you think this could have a radicalization effect upon these radical groups? Could it be causing the Islamic groups to become more radical when they see the radical side of Christian Zionism? We wonder about that. How much of the hatred that you've experienced coming from the Muslim side is actually irritated by the movement that's become to be known as Christian Zionism? Could you address that in your thoughts? I think uh, it's not helping uh, much uh, the Christian Zionists concerning uh, these issues. It's make it more complicated. But to be honest with you, there is other elements which is contribute to people to become more radical. And part of it has to do with uh, certain teaching and things penetrate the culture. And unfortunately, many people grow up in that mentality. But also the Christian Zionist contribution will make it more complicated and more difficult. It's not helping. But also when people see that the Christian Zionists is, have this many times the unconditional support for one side of the story, and they just make the Arab side as if they're not important or as not loving. So what I'm trying to say when they focus on one side, just make it more, more difficult and more complicated and people will uh, feel more rejected rather than to focus what the Bible teaches, like in John 3.16, you know, that God loves all people. He loves the Arab, he loves the Muslims, he loves the Jews, Hindus and Buddhists, and God loves for everyone, and he has wonderful plan for everyone. But... Um, yeah, so it's not helping, and we really need to go back what the Bible teaches, and I think really what is helping all in the church, in the West, and in the East to see things through Christ. And this is why I think, I didn't mean to go away from the question, but when we look how the dispensationalist point of view started, or the non-dispensationalist point of view, when people start to separate the Old Testament from the New Testament, and when they stop seeing continuity between the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But we miss the point, I think, as a Christian in the West, when we miss and stop seeing the Old Testament through the glasses, if you will, of the New Testament. We need to see the prophecies. We need to see the Old Testament. We need through the eyes of Christ. Christ is the ultimate revelation, and this is how we need to see it. And I think only then we can have a balanced perspective as a Christian concerning Israel, concerning the Arab, concerning the Muslims. So, you know, when Christ, night before he went to the cross when he took that cup and he said this is the blood of the new covenant what he was saying this is here is the ultimate revelation all the covenants in the old testament you know the abrahamic covenant the mosaic covenant the davidic covenant the covenant with jeremiah with ezekiel all these covenants now fulfilled you know through the person of jesus christ through what he did on the cross so this is why we need to see everything is through Christ and only then we will be in the safer place and uh, I should say you know to be honest with you I didn't feel God finished with the Jewish people Romans 9 to 11 I believe there are certain things God wants to do he already did things in the past and he's doing things now 
and he's going to do things in the future. But I think the problem with the Christian Zionists, when they try to make the minor major and the major minor, when you make everything going around Israel, and then you will miss the point, and you miss the big picture and God planned for all humanity. And so this is when we lose balance and our perspective was mixed up and we really miss God's plan for all the humanity through Christ. Well, I'm going to ask a final question later, and that question is going to be, what can we do to help you? But before we do that, I think we should have Tom open the microphones now, and I know Tom has a question himself. Thank you, Pastor Hannah, for your comments. You actually pretty much answered my question because it concerns some members in my church, an evangelical church, some women, godly women, who uh, it's, uh, it seems very difficult because of this theological bent. I can't even call them open Christian Zionists, but there is this belief that's wrapped around the physical state of Israel that there seems to be a incapability of feeling any compassion for what the Palestinians are going through. And, of course, a lot of this is through the conditioning uh, by our media, our government, the actions of our government, And I think that should probably go along with what you said when Chuck asked you about the reactions uh, to Christian Zionism, because they are decidedly influenced by our government, by our media, and it really reinforces their one-sidedness to this issue. So what you said is, to me, very encouraging, because I think all people that follow Christ, wherever they are, need to be looking at the big picture. And we've said the very same thing, what you said about the Old Testament and New Testament is, is very true, that we need to be looking at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. And so it's pretty simple, but we Amen. as humans seem to have uh, complicated it. And so let me uh, open up uh, if anybody else has a question here. Craig? Yes, uh, Pastor Hanna, uh, you said several times as you were speaking about the modern Jews returning to uh, the Holy Land. My question to you is, how can these modern Jews return to some place where they've never been? This is why I asked the question about how far back in history you want to go. And, you know, if you ask some Jews, they will say our roots been there, you know, like 3,000 years or so. And this is why I asked the question let us go back about 100 years ago in order to solve this conflict. Uh, You have the British ruling in Palestine, in Israel at that time, and even though the percentage of the Jews were very small, but they start to come back for some reason or another, the British allow that. But also with the horrible of Holocaust, more people try to, you know, to come to find the shelter. And as I said, uh, Palestinians, they're not against the uh, Jewish people try to find the shelter, but against the Zionists who came with the previous plan, want to take more land. But now the question is, we are in front of this reality. You have two different ethnic groups living in this small piece of land. So what are we going to do? I mean, for me, the best solution, security for Israel in one hand, but also a home for the Palestinians. I mean, what is other solution we can have? I mean, even the United Nations, resolutions, they agreed to have two states live side by side and hopefully in harmony and and respect. You know, there's no full justice in this world because sometimes somebody who focuses on one side 
of the story, like who focus just on the Jewish people, he came to the Palestinian and he said, well, just forget it. God give this land to Israel. Just forget it. And this Palestinian happened to be Christian, and he said to him, well, you're telling me my heavenly father want me as a Palestinian Christian to lose my home, to lose my land, because he want to fulfill a prophecy for people where many of them not even believing in him. So what I'm trying to say, there is no full, complete or full justice in this world. Somebody said, if you pursue justice, what you will get injustice. But if you pursue love, justice will come. And this is our hope. And this is what motivates us to continue. So we are in front of this reality. So what other options in the front of us? And I mean, for me personally, two-state solution for people to live side by side and to stop killing each other. Pastor Hannah, living there in Gaza, can you say what percentage are radical Muslims or is the radical element increasing? Because we hear tales of Jews, Christians, and Muslims living in peace for hundreds and maybe not maybe thousands of years and all of a sudden now we've got these radicalizations on all sides are doing these horrendous things so is it a small percentage of the, of the radicalized muslims or do the regular muslims support that or do they denounce the radicalization that's a good question it's really hard to know the percentage but uh, i would say like back in 2006 uh, when hamas you know, uh, won the election, about 70% or so in the streets supported Hamas. But now, if you have a new election in Gaza, I think the percentage of people who are supporting Hamas is uh, much less. But, you know, through history, things up and down. And we know with the Armenian massacre in 1900. So the Middle East, uh, through history, there is some events Whereas the Christian uh, experience persecution and difficulties. But in general, uh, yeah, also in the same time, I grew up with my Muslim neighbors and we have good relationship. We went to school together, we ate together, we visited. But sometimes when we start to discuss religion, things become difficult. So yeah, it's uh, a big part, it's okay, but things start to become more difficult. I noticed uh, actually after September 11th, after that, when the war started in Afghanistan, it was okay. But when the war started in Iraq, I think people start to become more militant and more radical. And that's become more difficult for the Christian because they connect us with the West because of our faith. And they're not able to revenge from the Western countries. So sometimes they reflect this revenge on the local Christian. So this is why um, in the early 2000 or so, things become more difficult and more part of it, also more persecution uh, for the Christian, especially in the Middle East. I would ask Dr. Hannah, I've noticed that the state of Israel uses Hamas as their symbol of radicalization. They basically blame the evils of the Palestinians on Hamas. And it seems to be kind of a convenient label in a and I have understood that Hamas was a political party, but are there theologically oriented radical groups that you could name? Like ISIS, I think of ISIS as being considered to be a radicalized Islamic group. Are there others that are active in Gaza or is it a, a, a small minority? Is Hamas a, a correct label to put on the radicalization of 
the Palestinians there, or are there other labels that would be more applicable? Yeah, Hamas, you know, it's considered a political group, but also, yeah, it's a religious group uh, as well, but also Hamas want to get the favor of the West, so this is why they try uh, more or less protect the minority of the Christians in Gaza. There's other smaller groups like Islamic Army and other Islamic group and some who sympathize with ISIS. But Hamas able to get this militant group, which is this group more militant than Hamas, they sometimes threaten Hamas. So this is why Hamas able to have them under control and put their leadership in the prison. So, yeah, there's other uh, small parties, small, more militant uh, group here and there in Gaza, and that sometimes scare the Christians. But more or less, Hamas as a political party have these things under control. But also many Christians, because of this pressure, left Gaza. And uh, now in Gaza you have just about uh, maybe 350, 370 families out of 2 million people. So it's about 1,000 individuals, the Christians, out of the 2 million oh. in Gaza. So when they're able to leave, like in Easter and Christmas, because this is the time when Israel gives them permission, so they take advantage of that and they go to the West Bank, which they feel is more safe. But all over the Middle East in general, like 50 years ago, you have about maybe... 30 million Christian in the Middle East, but these days maybe you just have 20 million or so. Many immigrated because for different reasons, economical reason, you know, persecution, freedom, you know, so on and so forth. So, yeah, the number kind of uh, change compared uh, many years ago. Pastor, do you still call your church a Baptist church? The reason I ask this question. When I took the picture of the church, it, it was the Baptist Church. I think it says Baptist Church of Gaza, in Arabic on one side of the uh, on one door, and and in English on the other other side of the door. Right. And I don't know if that wall is still there and if that door is still there or not. But I was a Southern Baptist deacon, and I became very upset about the, the church supporting Israel unconditionally, regardless of what was going on and. I kind of saw the Baptist church as being a giant part of the Christian Zionist movement, at least a sort of a root part. And I'm speaking of the old Southern Baptist church. Do you think that the Baptist name would identify with radical groups, would identify with that and see that as being a pro-Israel movement? I think uh, the name of the church later on changed. We kept the word Baptist, but we call it also the Arabic Evangelical Baptist Church. But we have a new building now. The one when you visited, it was the old building. But now God blessed us with six floors building. And each floor, it's about 215 square meters. So we have six floors. Uh, the first two floors, it's uh, for the only Christian public library in Gaza. And uh, we worship in the sixth floor. And also we have a floor for the local pastor who is Egyptian and married a young lady from the church. So they live in the fifth floor. So, yeah, uh, but on the new building, we don't have a sign. But, yeah, I agree with you. The, sometimes the word Baptist, especially in Gaza, because uh, sometimes 
say when Baptist group in the West will give unconditional support for Israel, and when it's people, the local people see that in the newspaper, and then they look at our church and they say, God's a Baptist, uh, sometimes it's difficult for us, and uh, sometimes we will get confused. And uh, for a long time, people accused us as spies, you know, for Israel. And this is uh, very painful. But God really helped us with our testimony through the years, and uh, that gave assurance for the people who we are and uh, where we stand, our love for the Lord and our love for our people. Pastor Hannah, it's such a pleasure to hear your voice. You're in my prayers here in Fresno every day thank for you, your ministry. You. Yes, very Appreciate much so. Ever since, ever since we read your letter, the open letter thank from you. Bethlehem also touched our hearts. And every day we feel it in prayer. And we know that God is with you. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Hannah. And the question I think Chuck wanted to ask you, how can we help or how anybody that listens to this podcast, how can we help your mission there in Gaza? I guess you're still active in there, and the church, as you just described, is still going. Yeah, thank you. Christian Mission to Gaza continue to do ministry. I was in Jordan and in Gaza, came about a week ago, and I go three, uh, three to four times a year. And we have the church in Gaza. We have also school. We have 250 students, KG up to sixth grade. And uh, many of these students are uh, from very uh, poor background. And also we have a relief program because the poverty is very high. And even according to the United Nations, you know, uh, they said by year 2020, Gaza would be unlivable because the infrastructure is really bad and uh, poverty among the young people are more than 50%. So, yeah, we appreciate it if uh, the Lord put in the heart of the people to stand with us and to help us to do what we do uh, would be great blessing. And also, I didn't talk much about our ministry among the refugees. Uh, we help in a regular basis a thousand refugee families. It's about 5,000 individuals, and uh, also our work among the Syrian refugees. So we have this ministry in Jordan among the refugees, and uh, because many of these families, they lost almost everything because of persecution, and they, they fled the persecution of ISIS, the Iraqi. Uh, we minister to our from Christian background. So, yeah, there's a lot, uh, lot of needs, and we really appreciate it. The Christian Mission to Gaza, if you Google it, you'll find all the information. And be glad also to leave my email if people uh, like to contact me and uh, want to help. It's hannah3 at com. If they go to the web page, Christian Mission to Gaza, they have maybe this is the easiest way if you just google well thank you so much pastor hannah we appreciate your comments and bless you and your activities to shine more light there in the holy land well thank you it's a great uh, blessing to be with you all and appreciate your encouragement your prayers and your standing with us Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org. 
for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.